How good is he? If he never did another thing for me, how good is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? You're aware that today is the Lord's Supper service. We get to celebrate his amazing love for us and the goodness of his life for us. I'm excited for our study as we've been living what it means to be living free from sin, what it means to be living free from the power of sin. We've got to explore some tremendous truths as we go through that. How's it going? How is life pursuing holiness? Is it great? Any sinless people over the last three weeks? I was looking to see if someone would lie because our sermon today is don't lie. You know, <laughs> our first service, our first major focus in this, these three categories of sin that the Apostle Paul focuses on is sexual immorality. And so understanding what that is, understanding the temptations, understanding the the physical expression of that, but then the thoughts that lead to that, the exposure, and then the inward desire of covetousness. He, he goes from the, the fruit, the actual physical transgression, to the mental, emotional, and physical, and then the heart issue. So he goes from the fruit to the root. Then when he comes to anger, and I don't mean y'all are sexually more, y'all are angle, I'm just separating this here. But then he goes to anger, and he says, all right, anger... It starts, he, he starts it in the heart. He goes with the word orge and wrath, thumos, and he, he, he talks about that. And then he, the expressions of that, malice and, and evil speech that tears down. So wanting bad and slander, malice, desiring evil for someone and slander, and, and then, of course, just corrupt speech. And today, it's very simple. There's one word. It's given in a three-word command, and it's set in a great context that we need to look at. The word is lie. The command is, do not lie. To finish the sentence, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And I believe that this is something that certainly even believers, and I would say especially believers, need to be reminded of and need to be exposed to over and over again as we seek to live lives who who glorify God, lives that glorify God, as we seek to honor Him in our speech. I was thinking about an example of lying and getting caught out in lying, and of course with recognizing our graduates this morning. I remembered a story that I had heard years ago about four boys who were cutting school because it was spring, the sun was shining, and they wanted to cut classes. And so they cut classes, they did show up to school after lunch, and they ran into one of their teachers, and their teacher said, what happened? Where have you been? They said, oh, we, we were coming, but we had a flat tire on the way. And the teacher said, well, you missed a quiz, and so I need you guys to make up the quiz here, sit in class, and I'll hand out the quiz. And, but she went over the papers first, and then she handed out the quiz, and the first question on the quiz was, which tire? Which tire went flat? Lion will get you in trouble. I was talking to Keegan this morning. I said, what's your favorite lie? <laughs> we talked about it for a minute. He said, I think I like, I'll do that tomorrow. We, uh, we all have lies. Uh, there are famous fibs. Uh, we've heard things like, oh, the check is in the mail. We've lied to ourselves. I'll start my diet tomorrow. We've been lied to. We service what we sell. <laughs> uh, or I'll call you back. Uh, we, uh, we, we receive lies sometimes to kind of help us smooth life out. You haven't changed a bit. 
you look just like you did in high school. Uh, we lie sometimes to soothe social interactions. I, I'm sorry, I never got your message. And then, of course, uh, vendors lie to us. My favorite one is one size fits all. And, and, and so there, there are just some, uh, some lies that we become accustomed to, lies that we accept, and yet it's pretty simple here, isn't it? What is the command? Don't lie. Do not lie. It seems common even among Christians because we just don't take lying that seriously. We lie for different reasons, and sometimes we think it's cute when it comes to small children. I looked up videos of kids who were caught out in lies, and I couldn't find just one to show. There were several of them that were compilations. If you want to do that, please feel free. It was kind of cute, but I did have a person that post online, uh, Jenny Pentland. She posted the following statement. She said, my eight-year-old just tried to convince me that he has sugar all over his mouth because he tripped and fell on a donut. Uh, adults obviously have the same issues. We just tend to be refined and a little bit more skillful in our deceit. Lying goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You remember that Satan is the father of lies. That Satan tempted Adam and Eve. The first thing they did was he questioned God's word. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He changed God's word. And when Eve replied and said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Satan's response was to the woman, you'll not surely die. He's a liar. And then Adam and Eve, once fallen, became those who would lie and deceive and hide behind words that weren't true. And yet when we come to Christ, everything changes. He places within us, remember our passage in Ezekiel, a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone. He places a new life, His life, inside of us. A life which our text today says is being renewed in knowledge after the image of His Creator. God does not lie. Multiple times in Scripture, we have simply the statement that God does not lie. He is authentic. He is true. And so we are commanded, don't lie, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. A few things that we need to understand as we go through this. Very simple. God hates lying. God hates lying. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. You will be familiar with it when I read it. You might want to write the text down. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates, even seven, that are an abomination to Him. What are they? Haughty eyes, that's pride. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness, another deceit. A false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among his brothers or among brothers. That's pretty serious. A blatant, clear statement. God hates liars. You also need to recognize that not only does God never lie and does God hate lies, God, uh, Satan is a liar. You remember what happened when the Jews confronted Jesus and Jesus was responding to them. In John, it's recorded that 
Uh, Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Satan's not Abraham's, not God Almighty. He, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And I want you to understand that most of the time in our seeking to deceive, lying, by the way, most simply defined as simply seeking to deceive. And it can be small and it can be big. I gave you some small examples and some things that we find humorous, but I want you to understand, God doesn't laugh about lying. God doesn't think it's cute when His children lie. It flies in the face of His character, and it reflects the character of Satan, the fallen angel who rebelled against God. Now, Satan is defeated, and because Satan is defeated, in which we're going to celebrate in just a few moments, through Christ's death on the cross, you are freed from bondage to deceit. You can be authentic. You can be real. As a matter of fact, if you're taking notes, that's your first B. Be authentic. Be real. Sinful pride and lying go together. We deceive and would rather deceive others and conceal our struggles and conceal our failures and conceal our weaknesses than be exposed. We lie many times because we want others to think better of us. We put on a mask. Do you have any exposure to social media? About 90% of the pictures on there lie. Actually, they don't lie. They show one snippet of the truth. They show one snippet of the truth. Have you ever tried to take a family picture with small children? You need to get your photographer to take a series of those, and you'll have a crying one over here and one running off over there and one making a face over here and one smile, and then they will cajole and move and shake and whatever you have to do. And then finally, for one shot out of about 97... Everybody's looking at the camera and smiling. And which picture do you post, typically? That one. You want to show your best side. Is it a lie? No, it's truth as far as it goes. It's just not the whole truth. We want to make sure that when it comes to living in the context of the family of faith, that we live authentic, truthful lives. Does that make sense? As a matter of fact, in our text today, when we're talking... This, when he talks, says, do not lie to one another, seeing you have put off the old self with its practices. You've put on the new self, which is the image of Christ, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 11, he says, here, that's an emphatic. This isn't just a linking word in English. That is a, a word in Greek identifying, I'm talking about in the family of God, in the family of faith. This ought to be a safe place for us to stop hiding from one another, from us to stop whatever sort of self-promotion that our flesh would engage in. Because you understand that sinful pride promotes self while it pushes others down. And in Christ, that swaps around. In Christ, we recognize that we are nothing apart from the grace of God, deserving nothing. And God gives us mercy and gives us grace. But when we look at one another, we honor one another, we exalt one another, we place others above ourselves. And so rather than self-promotion and denigrating or putting others down, we actually recognize who we really are and we're able to lift others up. Authenticity means that we, we show some uncomfortable things. 
to one another from time to time. In James chapter 5, verse 16, James writing to this group of believers who were struggling with understanding the difference between faith and works and professing one thing and not doing it, (laughs) professing that they had faith and yet their lives didn't live it out. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. That it is working. And I've got to tell you, to confess means to agree. It means to disclose. It means to uncover, to reveal. And what he is commending in this passage of Scripture is the type of relationships where we love one another enough that we are loving of one another and willing to let down our barriers, willing to let down those things that we would hide, willing to come alongside of one another and say, I'm struggling here. i got a problem here. I'm not experiencing victory in this area. I open my life to you. And then we need to be those people who allow people to do that and do the same in return. I'm opening my life to you so that we can, as we go through this life together, encourage one another and lift one another up. The context is in the family of faith specifically when he talks about not prideful pretext or pretending that we're something we're not. In Ephesians 4.25, Paul writing a similar letter to the Christians at Ephesus says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth. This is, don't lie, this is the opposite side of that. Speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We're part of the same body. We connect. Now, what I believe is the context for this in our text is the command in verse 11. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Part of what he is addressing here specifically is the sin of condescension. It's the sin of discrimination. It's the sin of drawing lines that God has not drawn in our relationships with one another in the context of church. Look at the list. You've got the racial, religious distinctions, You've got Jew and Gentile. Was there any conflict between Jew and Gentile? Absolutely. Unregenerate Jews thought all Gentiles were far beneath them because they were the people of God. But Gentiles were no better. Gentiles were praised their own intellect and praised their own, in many cases, hedonism, looking down on those who were religiously strict. Gentile and Jew, pretty big divide there. Culturally as well. And of course, the Jews were... The practicing Jews, faithful Jews, were circumcised, and then there were those who they simply called the uncircumcision, those who were not cleansed. It's a relation, I mean, a racial and religious background in that context. And there are just simply the cultural differences. You guys know that the Romans captured the Greeks, right? The Romans captured the Greeks. And the Greeks, in turn, captured the Roman mind and captured the Roman heart. And really, it was Greek culture that one out. And so this is called the Greco-Roman culture. Well, if you weren't Greco-Roman, if you didn't have the the philosophers of the Areopagus, if you didn't have the artists and the the writers, if you didn't have all that, then you were simply a barbarian. This is a word that was used commonly to say 
We're better than they are. They're just barbarians. When I was a kid growing up in South Mississippi, we had church people and heathens. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Church, church people and heathens. They had the intelligentsia and the barbarians. Now, do you guys know who the Scythians are? I had to look this up. I had studied it years ago, but I kept seeing this phrase. I thought, well, that's just a group of people. Well, it's not just a group of people. Scythians were really bad people. All right, they were the northern tribes who were indeed barbarians. They were warmongers. They freely committed murder. They did not value human life. Uh, when they would go to war, just a kind of a gory little statement to make here. When they would go to war, they would capture one of the enemy, kill him and drink his blood to prepare themselves for what came next. And then they were just, they were horrible to the people that they captured. And they were gross people. They were described by Herod, Herodotus, one of the historians of the day, as the great unwashed savages. He says they would not bathe, they would not clean themselves, and as soon as they, and because they were continually digging in the mire. And I don't know what all that means. I just know the Scythians, imagine the worst of society. Imagine the, the worst of society. The worst criminal, uh, the worst person that you can imagine. That's who they talked about when they talked about the Scythians. This is an amazing passage. Barbarian, Scythians, and then you are aware of the difference between those who are slaves and those who own slaves. Yes? Slavery, you have no freedom. You have no economic status. You have no, no real status. The, many of the freedmen, particularly of the Romans, many of the freedmen actually owned slaves. It was quite a practice. And here, listen to what God says. Listen to what God says. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, to you and to me. Here, here, in this place, in the body of Christ, those things that naturally and previously divided us don't matter. They go away. There is, in the eyes of God, in the love of God, in the love that we're to have for one another, any of those barriers that humans create, whether it be the color of their skin, whether it be the amount of education they have, whether it be the language they speak or the culture they were raised in, whether it be how much money they have or don't have, you do not establish boundaries that God has torn down in the blood of Christ. Amen? So clear, abundantly clear, and something we must learn and something we must experience and something we must teach and share. It's an amazing truth. The second B on your outline, as you are authentic, you need to also be impartial. You need to be impartial. And there are so many things that are distinct about us. It doesn't mean that we don't recognize that we're different. There are some people I know of that have multiple postgraduate degrees and other people I know of who never completed high school. And, and, and some who never completed middle school. 
Do we value one more than the other? Do we love one more than the other? While we can still recognize that there's a distinction and a difference between them? No. We love equally. We care equally. We honor appropriately and equally as the children of God. When, it talks about, when we talk about the haves and the have-nots, because money is a great divider, James gives us some truth that makes us understand that it's a sin when we draw those lines. In James chapter 2, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read the first seven verses. In James chapter 2, starting in verse 1, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 7. James writes and says, My brothers, show no partiality. Be impartial as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, oh, you sit here in the best place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down here at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor men. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? I want you to understand that there are things that are distinct about us. And we can recognize those. As a matter of fact, when appropriate, we can honor those. When inappropriate, we can come to the Word of God and say, this might be a cultural distinctive for your culture. This might be a background that you have. This might be a practice that you were raised in. But here's what the Word of God has to say about it. And with grace, correct and instruct, encourage and teach and make disciples. It's what we do as a family of faith. When we drop our facade and we become authentic and we open our lives to all without partiality. Amen? Isn't that great truth? Isn't that great truth? This demonstrates the love of Christ. How do you do that? How do you do that in a world that continually divides and continually draw lines? We don't ignore differences. But it does mean that we are personally stretched and challenged and shaped to love those who are different from us. It is changing our perspective from the old way of looking at one another to the new way in Christ. How do we do that? Well, back to our text. Back up to verse 10. You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. Romans chapter 8. We get new understanding. God's word opens our eyes. What news for them to say there's no distinction between slave and free? What news for them to say there's no distinction between the Scythian and you? What news for them, particularly some of them, to say there's no distinction in God's eyes between the circumcised and the uncircumcised, the Jew and the Gentile? How were they able to grasp that and to live into it? How are we? And the answer is, we be transformed. We be transformed. That's the third point on your outline. We be changed in our thinking. We put to death those things that divide. Here there is no. In the church, before God, after Christ has come into our life, we love each other equally by being authentic. We love each other equally 
by being impartial, we love each other equally, empowered by Christ as we are transformed. Two things really quick. Christ is all. Christ is in all. The first phrase, Christ is all, simply means we need to get a right perspective of ourselves. In Romans chapter 12, you guys know Romans chapter 12? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may prove or discern what the will of God is, what is good and what is acceptable and perfect. Paul goes on, he says, For the grace given to me, I say to everyone, do what? Don't think higher of yourself than you ought. Don't be self-promoting. Don't hide behind a mask. Don't hide behind some facade. Don't be condescending in your relationship. Don't think higher of yourself than all. And how do you get the right perspective of yourself? Put your eyes on Christ. Put your eyes on Christ. When you see His perfection, when you see His love and His grace and His mercy, when you see His sufficiency and His power, when you see His glory, you'll begin to understand who you are. Not, not somebody that's worthy of his love, someone that's unworthy of his love. What Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, when they were saying, oh, I'm a Paul and I'm a Paulus and I'm a Cephas, and one group was saying, oh, we're Jesus. Paul said, look, it is God who gives the increase. We're just servants. Don't put your emphasis on us. Certainly, don't make Christianity about us. Christianity is about Christ. And we need to set our eyes on Christ and get a right perspective of ourselves. Christ is all. But the next phrase of that, and in all. In the church, for those who have been redeemed, for those who have been saved, we are the temple of God. Christ indwells us. And that will help you in your perspective because you're going to find people that are hard to get along with. For some of you, I'm that person. You're going to find people that are, are different than you and they do things different than you and they think different than you. And they are distinct from you. In some manner or the other. And it's going to be a challenge. And what I want to encourage you to do is not only get a right perspective of yourself, but I want you to recognize that that person is a person that Christ died for. That that person is a person that's been saved by the blood of the Lamb. That that person is the recipients of God's love, God's love to the same extent that you as a believer are a recipient of God's love. And understanding this and growing in this will help you grow and increase in the knowledge that God would have us increase in the knowledge of His Son and our lives will reflect Him and Christ becomes more and more our life. Christ is all and Christ is in all. We love who Christ loved. We open up our lives. And so I've got three Statements for you. Be authentic. Quit hiding. You know, you know what that's called in the New Testament, right? Hypocrisy. Deceit. Be impartial. Don't create barriers. Tear down barriers. Don't create barriers that God has not created. Don't draw lines God hasn't drawn. And how do you do that? By being transformed. 
First of all, by coming to Christ if you're not a believer. But as believers, by continually setting your eyes on Christ so you have a right perspective of yourself. And it's no longer about self-promotion. It's about honoring others above yourself. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It's about letting your love be without hypocrisy. That's Romans 12, 9. Romans 12, 11. It's so, so clear. Get a right perspective of yourself and then get a right perspective of others. And then trust God to bring about the changes in your speak, speech, don't lie, in your attitudes, in your behaviors as you live free from the sin of dishonesty by being authentic Christian. What a testimony to the goodness of God. You know the world doesn't do this, right? The world doesn't do this. This is uniquely Christian. This is a Christianity that makes an impact on others. And it only happens because Christ is our life. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that in Christ we have new life and the way that He came to give new life to us was by sending His Son who lived perfectly. By sending His Son who lived without sin though He was tempted in every manner just as we are. And he went to the cross to pay the penalty for sin, but not his sin, for your sin and for my sin. And there he satisfied the righteous requirements of the law, the innocent paying the price for the guilty. There he suffered the wrath of God against sin for all who come to him in repentance and faith, for those who have been set apart to be his children. 